following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know Him and make Him known. I've been in Chicago the last couple days. Aaron and the kids and I went to Chicago to celebrate my parents' 50th wedding anniversary. So we spent a couple days there with all my brothers and all their family, uh, just hanging out, eating way too much food. Um, so if I'm a little slow this morning, that's why. Uh, but, but we had a great couple days. Uh, and then Aaron and the kids and I drove back last night. And to get from my brothers to here, you take, you take I-80 pretty much all the way from his house to Erie, or 88, all the way to Erie. Um, and if you've ever taken 88 from Chicago to Erie or to this area, you know that around Aurora, there's this massive outlet mall. Right, some of you know that way better than some of the rest of us. Not naming names. But some of you know that really well. Right? But here's the thing. When we go past it every time, without fail, we drive past the outlet mall. Aaron and I look and we see this massive outlet mall just crammed with cars and we go, ugh. Because <laughs> we just want nothing to do with shopping in stores with those kinds of crowds. But, but last night, we, we drove past, and Erin looked at it, and she, she asked this question. She goes, that place is always packed. The outlet mall is always packed, but the regular malls are dying. She says, what's the difference? My immediate thought is, well, it's location. It's got to be location. But I don't think that's it. As I really started to think about the difference between an outlet mall that thrives and the retail mall that's dying, I think the... The real difference comes in a sense of identity and purpose. Outlet malls were started so that name brand companies could take their slightly uh, irregular items and sell them to people at a huge discount. So people go to the outlet mall specifically to get good deals on name brand products. There's a purpose. The retail mall if we're honest, is really just a bunch of stores in one place, right? There's no great deals you're going to get by going there. You don't save really any time looking for what you want. They might not even have what you want, right? If I'm going to go to a retail mall, I might as well stay at home and shop on my computer because I know I'll find what I want. I'll get a better deal and I won't have to go out into the crowds. So the outlet mall, there's a purpose, The retail mall is just a bunch of stores doing their thing in the same area, in the general vicinity of one another. And that's why the outlet mall thrives while the retail mall is dying. Identifying what we are a part of and identifying our purpose helps us grasp the significance of what we're doing and helps us grow and thrive in what we are doing. That doesn't mean that all the parts and pieces aren't important. They are. But without a reflection of how those parts and pieces relate to the whole, they don't mean as much. And the same thing is true of your faith and my faith. We can think about ourselves. We can think about our personal walk with Jesus, and that's great. 
But even those things take on a deeper and richer meaning when we realize how we fit in to the identity of the body of Christ, of this gathered group of believers in one place at one time. So the question I'm going to ask you this morning is this, who are we? Who are we? What is this Sunday gathering and why does it matter to our faith? Again, if you remember last week, I told you in this series, we're going to be looking at four words. Upward, inward, outward, and forward. Upward, inward, outward, forward. Last week, we talked about upward. We talked about how the gathering of the church is important because it's a a time to reset our focus and to remember God's glory, Jesus' sacrifice, and the Holy Spirit's power. This week, we're going to look inward. We're going to talk about the inward significance of the church. And when I say inward, I want to make sure we're on the same page here. Okay, when I say inward, I'm not talking about you looking at your own heart or the state of where you're at. We're talking about this gathering, the church. When we look inward at the church, what's the identity? And when we know the identity of the church, then we can start to see our place within it. So we're going to look inward at the church. And to do this, we're going to examine three very common biblical metaphors for the church. And most of you have heard all three of these before. Most of you are not going to hear this and be like, that is brand new information. I've never heard it before. But the point of this series, the point of studying the way we're doing right now is not so that we can teach you necessarily a bunch of new things that you've never heard before. It's to take these things that you've heard that you know and bring them together and see the fuller picture of what God is doing and what he is speaking to us. So we're gonna look at these three biblical metaphors for the identity of the church gathering. And in doing so, we'll see how a life of faith matures and functions within it. So let's look at these three metaphors. Metaphor number one, we gather as a team. We gather as a team. And Pastor Ron talked about this a little bit a couple weeks ago, um, but I want to dive into this from a, a slightly different angle. We gather as a team. So the first question we have to ask ourselves if we gather as a team is, what is a team? What is a team? And if we simply gave a a very simple definition of a team, it would be this. It's a group of individuals working together to achieve a common goal. A team is a group of individuals working together to achieve a common goal. Again, Pastor Ron talked about this a couple weeks ago. If you look at a baseball team, what's, what are they trying to do? It's a bunch of people playing their own positions all over the field, doing what they can to score runs, Keep the other team from scoring runs so that they can win the game. That's that common goal. Score more runs than your opponent, win the game. And they do it in all kinds of different ways, right? You have a pitcher who throws the ball. You have the catcher who catches the ball. You got outfielders who run around the the big open space trying to catch the ball. Everybody does their own thing, but it's to work towards a common goal. Or maybe you think of it in terms of an office or, or a business where there's a sales team. Right, a sales team might have regional salespeople. They cover different areas of the country doing their own thing, but they're trying to achieve the same goal. Sell product, make money for the company so that they can get paid. 
Right? They're doing their own thing, but they have a common goal. Or maybe you think about it in terms of a school system. Think about teachers. There's lots of different teachers. You might teach kindergarten students, or you might teach middle school science, or you might teach high school math. But all of you are working together to educate the students, to bring them through that educational system. You do your own thing, but you have a common goal. So this is a team. How is the church a team? Because we as a church have one common goal. The goal of the church is to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey God's commands. That's the common goal. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 gives us the common goal of the church. We are to make disciples. That means leading those who are far from Christ to Christ. And that means helping our, uh, those around us to grow in their knowledge and understanding of who he is, to baptize them, to help people come to this greater understanding of the Holy Spirit's work in them and through them and teach them to obey God's commands. Obedience. And this is the common goal of the church. Now, because we have a common goal, doesn't mean we don't have different roles, right? We all have different ways we do this. In fact, you want to see how this works in the New Testament? How all these different roles and different functions serve the, the common goal? We can see it in, in several passages. Let me just give you a few. In, in 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 2 through the first half of verse 3, says, uh, Paul writes, And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker, in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you concerning your faith, so that no one will be shaken by these afflictions. Paul says, the church, you're struggling, you're hurting. I'm sending someone to encourage you, to build you up. Timothy was sent to be an encourager, to be one who builds up the believers. In 2 Corinthians 8, verse 23, Paul writes, as for Titus, he is my partner and co-worker for you. As for our brothers, they are the messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. And he says, Titus, Titus works alongside of me. And the brothers, he's saying the church leaders, the church body are there to support the glory of Christ. Right? He doesn't say you're sent as encouragers just like Timothy was. He says you have work to do in the church, but it's all to the common goal. If we go to Philippians chapter four, verses two and three, Paul writes, I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side. And Paul writes, you're to be a peacemaker in an area of conflict. That's different than encouraging. That's different than necessarily doing the work of the, the, the gathered church. But he says, you are to be peacemakers. In, in Philemon, Verse one, the second half, Paul writes to Philemon, he says, to you, Philemon, our dear brother and coworker. And if you know the rest of the book of Philemon, Paul is writing to this man and saying, listen, you are to accept this man, Onesimus, as your brother in Christ. You are to love him. You are to accept him. That's what he calls Philemon to do as a coworker. Lots of different roles, lots of different ways in which this works out, but all done to the common goal of making disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to obey God's command. See, the New Testament consistently instructs the believers 
it's you and me, to put their unique gifts into action towards the common goal. What that means for you is that God wants to use you. God wants to use every single one of you and me and every one of our fellow believers in Jesus Christ. He wants to use us to build his kingdom and to bring his lost children home. And in your life, maybe he's going to do that through some kind of church ministry or leadership. Maybe he's going to do that through you as a teacher. Maybe he's going to do that to you as a factory worker. Maybe he's going to do that through you in some form of public service. Maybe he's going to do that through you as a stay-at-home parent. Maybe he's going to do that through you as a sister or an uncle or a cousin or a friend or a mentor. Or maybe he's going to do that through you as a financial backer to some kingdom ministry. But the point is this, whoever you are, wherever you're at in life, whatever your age and stage of life may be, God's got work for you to do. He has called you to work towards the common goal. See, for a team to succeed at accomplishing our goal, it requires the contribution of the entire team. It takes the whole team. Okay, how does this relate to this gathering? Why is that important to this time that we have together once a week? By having a continual and committed practice of gathering, God keeps us engaged and keeps us encouraged towards the work of that common goal. Because when we leave this place and we go through the rest of our week, all the stuff we've got going on, all the schedules, maybe you've got tons of meetings, maybe you're just sitting home lonely, but whatever it is, everything that happens in your week can serve to draw your attention away from the bigger picture, away from that common goal. And your life becomes, well, how do I make myself happy? How do I make myself satisfied? How do I get what I want? How do I make all of this more palatable for me to make it through my life? And we lose sight of the fact that that's not our calling. That's not our goal. Our common goal is to make disciples, baptize them, teaching to obey God's commands. The gathering of the church helps to serve as that anchor point for us to always come back into the bigger picture of the call of the, the, the common goal of the team of the kingdom. And so the, maybe the, the question you, you need to take with you this week is this question. What is your role on the team? What is it that God's called you to do? And how, here's the, the, the more important part, how does that serve the common goal of the church? And whatever that work is, again, maybe it's just writing a note to someone, an encouraging note, be an encourager like Timothy. But whatever it is, there are millions of ways. The question is, how does our role on this team, serve the common goal. So we gather as a team. 
We're working together to achieve a common goal. Let's look at metaphor number two that we see throughout scripture. Metaphor number two is we gather as a body. We gather as a body. Let me read for you. When 1 Corinthians 12, and again, I I know Pastor Ron covered this a couple weeks ago, um, but we're going to look at a couple different verses. and, And let me just read a few excerpts from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 4 through verse 5. He says, now, there are different gifts, but the same spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And then down in verse 12 and 13, he says, for just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or or free. And we were all given one spirit to drink. And then in verse 27, he says, Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. We gather as a body. Now a body and a team are very similar. There's a lot of crossover between a body and a team. But there's a a key distinction that I think we need to, to understand. A team works independently to accomplish the common goal. They work together, but their their roles are significantly compartmentalized. Again, think of a a baseball team. Your pitcher pitches the ball to the batter. Catcher catches it. Your center fielder runs to the wall and catches the ball. You don't want your center fielder trying to pitch from center field. That's disastrous. That doesn't work. Each position has its own role. They're compartmentalized. But a body is far more interconnected. See, your brain does a lot of thinking, right? Hopefully. Hopefully your brain does a lot of thinking. But without your heart pumping blood, how well does your brain work? It, it doesn't. You, you feed yourself fuel through your mouth. <laughs> But if you don't have hands, it's much more difficult to feed yourself, isn't it? You speak with your your tongue. But if you're born deaf, it's very difficult to speak clearly. There's, There's usually an impediment that comes with that because you don't hear clearly, so you don't know how to speak clearly. See, the body is very, very interconnected. And so it is with the church. Our roles are not compartmentalized, individualized. We are part of the body. We work together and we need one another. You need the body of Christ and the body of Christ needs you. See, we need one another. God has given us each unique gifts and unique positions in which to exercise those gifts. But we do have that one goal, that one mission, that one calling to make known the kingdom of God by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as we are filled with the Holy Spirit. So your gifts, your abilities, your work cannot be fully accomplished on your own. You can do some nice things. We can all do really nice things on our own. 
But to fully see the gifts of God manifest in us and through us requires us to be connected and united with the body of Christ. In, in 1 Corinthians 12, this, this passage we were just reading in, in verse 7, Paul says that a manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person. And then he says this. He tells us why God gives a manifestation of the Spirit, a gift, an ability to each one of us. He said it is given to you for the common good. Your gifts, your abilities are not meant for you. They're meant to be used by you for the common good. Good. What's the common good? The common good is that which serves the kingdom and builds up the body of Christ, which makes disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaches them to obey his commands. All our gifts, all our abilities, all our efforts and contributions serve to help the body function the way the body was built to function and to help us function within the structure of that body. I've shared this with you many times, but my favorite illustration of this is if I'm standing up here right now and I just reach my finger in and poke my eyeball out, right? And then I hold my eyeball in my hand. And I'm like, here, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna leave this over here. I'm gonna set it right here and leave it here for a week. And we come back next week. How, how's, how, how's my body function? Am I still alive? Yeah, probably. I can't see very well but I'm still alive. But we go over to this eye that's been sitting here for a week. How's that doing? Does that function at all? No. Why? Because it's not meant to function on its own. It's meant to be a part of the body. This gathering of the local church is a reminder to each one of us that we are a part of something bigger than ourselves, that our gifts, our abilities, everything God has given us is not about us, it's about him. And in order to function properly, we have to function within the church. Right, if you sit here today and you're like, nope, I don't like that, I'm gonna leave, forget you guys, I'm taking my gifts and I'm going home this body will miss what you have to offer. It will, but it'll function. It'll continue on doing what God created it to do. You're gonna really struggle as you step out without a church body to function as a part of. Gathering keeps us reminded of that need and the fact that God has created us to do eternal things within the context of his body. So do we understand our purpose? When we think about our gifts, our abilities, when we think about how God has created us to function, to work, do we see how that is expressed through our life in the body of Christ? And if you're sitting here and you go, you know, I don't know. I'm sure I've got some abilities. I'm sure I've got some gifts but how does this work in the church? I don't know. Okay, we got a place to start. We can talk about maybe taking some spiritual gifts tests. You can get plugged in with some ministries here in the church. We have opportunities with discovery groups, Ignite Worship, KFC. If you want to work with kids, if you want to be involved with adults, we've got the Sage Group, 
We've got men's groups. We can get, you could do women's Bible study. Like there is all kinds of ways that we can get plugged in, that we can serve. But the question is, are we looking at our lives? Are we looking at ourselves and going, okay, God's made me this, to be this person and that's enough for me. Or do we function as a body? We gather as a team, we gather as a body. And the team and the body are what I would call more functional identities. Right? They help us understand what the church does and, and how the church works. But there's one more metaphor in scripture that I think is even more valuable and more important for us to understand. It's found in this third metaphor, that we gather as a family. We gather as a family. Our service, our mission, our purpose as individuals, I mean, all of that is, is great, and it's, it's meaningful, it's important. And there are sound biblical arguments for the need, those are, those are sound biblical arguments for the need for us to be a part of the local church. But in my mind, they're not nearly as meaningful and understanding of the fa- as the fact that we gather as a body, that we are a body. In the New Testament, the Greek word adelphos, you may, you may know that word, adelphos is, is the word translated brothers. I mean, in the Greek language, sometimes we translate it brothers and sisters because in the Greek language, they, they didn't always say brothers and sisters. They kind of used it as like, hey guys, Right? If I say, hey guys, I'm talking to all the men and women present. This is the way Adelphos is used in the Greek language. But this word Adelphos shows up 343 times in the New Testament. 343 times. And, and there are some cases where it's talking about physical blood, brothers and sisters. But most of the uses of Adelphos in the New Testament are in the spiritual sense. It's used to talk about how we as believers are brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Why is that so important to the New Testament writers? If we look at Galatians chapter 4, verse 3 through verse 7. Again, Paul writes, We also, when we were children, were in slavery under the elements of the world, When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. Paul says, God has adopted us as sons and daughters into his family through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This means, whether you like it or not, we're family. We're family. We've all been adopted into God's family by God's love. And we are all brothers and sisters, right? Not 
parents, uncles, not degrees of family. No, we are brothers and sisters. And I spent the last couple days with my family. Um, And I have a, a nephew, Nico, who was adopted by my brother and sister in law. When we have family gatherings and Nico's there, he doesn't get treated as anything less than my nephew. He is forever and will forever be an Eckberg. Again, whether he likes it or not, he's stuck with us. And the reason he's family is because of the love of my brother and sister-in-law. Nico didn't earn his place in our family. He didn't score high enough on some test that we admitted him into the Eckbergs. We just love him. And so he's part of our family. Being adopted into God's family as sons and daughters means that we haven't earned our place. We don't deserve to be welcomed and accepted. But by God's love, we are part of the family. And again, that means we're all in the same boat. And that means that in a world of deep and painful divisions, we have a weekly gathering that we come together to express a unity that is greater than ourselves, a unity that is greater than our political idea, ideology, a, a, a unity that is greater than our, our location, a unity that is greater than our desires, a unity that is greater than anything this world has to offer or anything we find significant in this world. It's a unity that is based on the family bond of Jesus' blood. Because 1 Corinthians 6, 20 says that we are not our own. We were bought at a price, and that price was the blood of Jesus Christ. That because God loves us so much, he refused to leave us in our sin and instead sent his one and only son to live perfectly, to die sacrificially, offering his blood in place of ours so that he could rise victoriously and deliver us completely to a place we, will, we could never deserve to stand. That place before the throne of God where we stand united with our brothers and sisters in Christ. This time that we have together on a weekly basis is yet another beautiful reminder of the fact that we are a family. We don't have to agree on everything. You don't have to like every song we sing. You don't have to like the books of the Bible we choose to study through. You don't have to like the format of our discovery groups. You don't have to like what we do with one particular ministry or another. question is, do we desire to be bound by our desires? Or are we bound by the family unity of the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ? We gather as a family. And real quick, let me give you just two significant implications of that. The fact that we gather here as a family. 
means, number one, that you belong. You belong here. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter where you've been. Doesn't matter how clean or how dirty your life looks at the moment. If you've confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you belong here because you are part of the family of God. And we gather as a family. So you belong. But number two, that also means you have responsibilities. You have a calling. You have a mission. You have a purpose. The church is not the place where we come and sit for an hour a week and go out into the world and say, well, that's enough. I got my Jesus for the week. I'm good. No, we are not the church if we are not seeking ways to love one another sacrificially. If we're not looking for ways to live out the gospel in the world around us. And and know this, that doesn't mean that every need that comes up is your need to meet. There are needs that will come up that are not your responsibility to meet. That's why we exist in the body. Because not one of you can meet all the needs that are going to come up before you. But when we function as a family, each doing our part, every single one of us will have our needs met. Because we're doing what we've been called to do. So you belong here. You have responsibilities. So do we understand the significance of the family? Are you a part of the family life of the gathered church? And if not of this church, of some church, the gathering of the church is this one time when we are all together, right? We function as the church throughout the week through various ministries and and groups and and gatherings and, and certain tasks that God puts in front of us. We work as a church in different places and in different times, either on our own or with some small subset of the gathering of the local church. But the time of gathering in this one place, at this one time, with this one practice, is the one time that we are all together to function as the church. And this serves as a critical reminder for us as to why we do what we do in those other times. Why we respond the way we respond in the days that God gives us. Because again, we don't exist for our individual purposes. We exist to work towards a common goal as a part of God's team, to serve as the common good as a part of God's body, and to love the family of God in a faithful unity. It's easy to get wrapped up in the the individualism of our day-to-day schedules in our lives, But, but the gathering of the church is a beautiful weekly reminder of the mission and purpose and calling to something that is greater than ourselves, to the love, the grace, and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, church family, may we celebrate God's love, Jesus' sacrifice, the Holy Spirit's power, 
united together. May we celebrate that as this gathering. And in doing so, may we go into the days and and the weeks ahead of us knowing that we are part of something greater than ourselves. May we have a greater confidence in, hope for, and commitment to the kingdom work that God has prepared in advance for each and every one of us because he has made us a part of his team, his body, and his family. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the truth and the beauty of your word We thank you for the way you have loved us and accepted us as we have no right in being loved and accepted. But we're so grateful that by your love, you have brought us to your team, your body, your family. That we might know you and love you and serve you with all that we have and all that we are. And we pray now that as we go through the week ahead, we will be reminded over and over and over again that we are not our own. We were bought at a price so that we might bring glory and honor to your name in all that we think, do, and say. Lord, may we shine with your love and grace and mercy this week. We love you. And in your great, in your awesome name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.